Chapter 5 See the evil, detestable things that they are doing. Ezekiel 8-9 Focus Apostate Judah's Spiritual and Moral Decline Paragraphs 1-3 through three. Question What did Jehovah want Ezekiel to see at the temple in Jerusalem, and why? As the son of a priest, the prophet Ezekiel is well versed in the Mosaic law, so he is familiar with the temple in Jerusalem and the pure worship of Jehovah that should be carried out there. But now, in 612 BCE, what is happening at Jehovah's temple would shock any faithful Jew, including Ezekiel. Jehovah wants Ezekiel to see the deplorable conditions at the temple and then to tell the elders of Judah, fellow Jewish exiles gathered in his house, what he sees. Ezekiel 8, 1-4 reads, And in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, when I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord Jehovah took hold of me there. As I watched, I saw a form similar to the appearance of fire. There was fire below what appeared to be his waist, and from his waist upward his appearance was bright, like the glow of electrum. Then he stretched out what appeared to be a hand, and took me by a tuft of hair of my head, and a spirit carried me between the earth and the heavens, and brought me to Jerusalem by means of the visions from God, to the entrance of the inner gate that faces north, where the idolatrous symbol of jealousy that incites jealousy stood. And look, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the appearance that I had seen in the valley plain. By means of Holy Spirit, Jehovah transports Ezekiel in vision from his house in Tel Abib, near the river Kibar in Babylon, hundreds of miles west to Jerusalem. Jehovah sets the prophet down in the temple, at the north gate of the inner courtyard. Starting here, Jehovah takes him by means of a vision on a tour of the temple. Ezekiel now observes four shocking scenes that reflect the utter spiritual collapse of the nation. What has happened to the pure worship of Jehovah? And what meaning does this vision have for us today? Let us join Ezekiel on his tour. First, though, we need to consider what Jehovah rightly expects of his worshipers. I am a God who requires exclusive devotion. Paragraph 4. Question. What does Jehovah require of his worshipers? Some nine centuries before Ezekiel's day, Jehovah clearly stated what he requires of his worshipers. In the second of the Ten Commandments, he told the Israelites, I, Jehovah your God, am a God who requires exclusive devotion. Exodus 20, verse 5. The footnote reads, In the book of Ezekiel, the term Israel is often used to refer to the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. End of footnote. By the expression, exclusive devotion, Jehovah indicated that he would not tolerate the worship of any other gods. As we saw in chapter 2 of this publication, the first requirement of pure worship is that the recipient of our religious devotion must be Jehovah. His worshipers have to give him the first place in their lives. Put simply, 
Jehovah expects his worshipers to keep spiritually clean by not mixing true worship with false. In 1513 BCE, the Israelites willingly entered into the law covenant. By so doing, they agreed to give exclusive devotion to Jehovah. Jehovah is loyal to his covenants, and he expected similar loyalty from his covenant people. Paragraphs 5 and 6. Question. Why did Jehovah deserve exclusive devotion from the Israelites? Was it reasonable for Jehovah to require exclusive devotion from the Israelites? Yes, indeed. He is Almighty God, the Universal Sovereign, and the Source and Sustainer of Life. Jehovah was also the Israelites' Deliverer. When giving them the Ten Commandments, He reminded the people, I am Jehovah your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus 20, verse 2. Clearly, Jehovah deserved the exclusive place in the hearts of the Israelites. Jehovah does not change. He has never wavered in his insistence on exclusive devotion. Imagine, then, how he must have felt about the four disturbing scenes that he now showed to Ezekiel in vision. First Scene The Idolatrous Symbol of Jealousy Paragraph 7 Question A. What were apostate Jews doing at the northern gate of the temple, provoking what reaction from Jehovah? Question B. In what sense was Jehovah incited to jealousy? Ezekiel 8, 5 and 6 reads, He then said to me, Son of man, please raise your eyes toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the gate of the altar, was this symbol of jealousy in the entryway. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what terrible, detestable things the house of Israel is doing here? Things that make me go far away from my sanctuary. But you will see detestable things that are even more terrible. Ezekiel must have been shocked. At the northern gate of the temple, apostate Jews were worshipping an idolatrous symbol or image. It was perhaps a sacred pole representing Asherah, the false goddess that the Canaanites viewed as the wife of Baal. Whatever it was, those idolatrous Israelites violated the terms of their covenant with Jehovah. By giving to an image the devotion that rightfully and exclusively belonged to Jehovah, they incited God to jealousy, they provoked Him to righteous anger. The footnote reads, the use of the term jealousy shows how seriously Jehovah views the matter of faithfulness to him. We may think of the jealous indignation a husband would feel if his wife were to become unfaithful. Like such a husband, Jehovah rightly became indignant when his covenant people proved unfaithful by taking up image worship. One reference work notes, God's jealousy proceeds from his holiness. Because he alone is the Holy One, he will tolerate no rival. End of footnote. Just think, for over four hundred years the temple sanctuary had been associated with Jehovah's presence. But now, 
By bringing idolatry right into the temple area, those idolaters made Jehovah go far away from his sanctuary. Paragraph 8. Question. What meaning does Ezekiel's vision of the symbol of jealousy have for our day? What meaning does Ezekiel's vision of the symbol of jealousy have for our day? Apostate Judah certainly reminds us of Christendom. Idolatry is widespread in the churches of Christendom, which makes invalid any devotion that the people claim to give to God. Since Jehovah does not change, we can be sure that Christendom, like apostate Judah, has provoked his righteous anger. Surely Jehovah is far away from this distorted form of Christianity. Paragraphs 9 and 10. Question. What warning lesson can we learn from the idolaters in the temple? What warning lesson can we learn from those idolaters in the temple? To render exclusive devotion to Jehovah, we must flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10.14 We might think, I would never use images or symbols in my worship of Jehovah. But idolatry comes in various forms, some more subtle than others. One Bible reference work puts it this way. One may think of idolatry as a metaphor for other goods, anything of value, worth, or power that becomes our ultimate concern to the exclusion of God. Idolatry, then, can include material possessions, money, sex, entertainment, really anything that could take first place in our lives and thus replace the exclusive devotion that is due Jehovah. We must guard against every form of idolatry because Jehovah has exclusive claim to our hearts and our worship. The first scene that Jehovah showed Ezekiel involved terrible, detestable things. Yet Jehovah told his faithful prophet, You will see detestable things that are even more terrible. What could be more terrible than the worship of that idolatrous symbol of jealousy in the temple area? Second scene. Seventy elders offering incense to false gods. Paragraph 11. Question. What disturbing things did Ezekiel see after entering the inner courtyard near the temple altar? Ezekiel 8, 7-12 reads, Then he brought me to the entrance of the courtyard, and when I looked, I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, Please bore through the wall. So I bored through the wall, and I saw an entryway. He said to me, Go in, and see the evil, detestable things that they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw all sorts of images of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the disgusting idols of the house of Israel. They were carved on the wall all around. And seventy of the elders of the house of Israel were standing before them, with Jeazaniah the son of Shaphan standing among them. Each one had his censer in his hand, and the perfumed cloud of incense was ascending. He said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each one in the inner rooms where his idols are displayed? For they are saying, Jehovah is not seeing us. Jehovah has left the land. 
Boring through a wall and entering the inner courtyard near the temple altar, Ezekiel now saw disturbing wall carvings of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the disgusting idols. The footnote reads, The Hebrew term rendered disgusting idols may be related to a Hebrew word for dung and is used as an expression of contempt. End of footnote. Those wall carvings represented false gods. Even more disturbing is what Ezekiel saw next. Seventy of the elders of the house of Israel were standing in the darkness and offering incense to the false gods. Under the law, the burning of sweet-smelling incense represented the acceptable prayers offered up by faithful worshippers. However, the incense that those seventy elders offered up to false gods was an unholy stench to Jehovah. Their prayers were like an offensive odor to him. Those elders fooled themselves into thinking, Jehovah is not seeing us. But Jehovah did see them, and he showed Ezekiel exactly what they were doing in his temple. Paragraph 12. Question. Why must we remain faithful even in the darkness, and who especially should set a good example in this regard? What can we learn from Ezekiel's account of those seventy Israelite elders who offered incense to false gods? For our prayers to be heard by God, and to keep our worship pure in His eyes, we must remain faithful even in the darkness. Let us keep in mind that Jehovah's all-seeing eyes are ever upon us. If Jehovah is real to us, we will not do anything in private that we know is displeasing to Him. Especially must congregation elders set a good example in Christian living. Congregation members rightly expect that an elder who stands before them and leads them in worship at a meeting is living by Bible principles even in the darkness, that is, when others may not see him. Third scene. Women weeping over the god Tammuz. Paragraph 13. Question. What did Ezekiel see apostate women doing at one of the temple gates? Ezekiel 8, 13, and 14 reads, And he went on to say to me, You will see detestable things that are even more terrible that they are doing. So he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of Jehovah, and there I saw women sitting and weeping over the god Tammuz. Following the first two scenes of detestable practices, Jehovah again told Ezekiel, You will see detestable things that are even more terrible that they are doing. What then did the prophet see next? At the entrance of the north gate of the house of Jehovah, he saw women sitting and weeping over the god Tammuz. A deity of Mesopotamia, Tammuz is called Demuzi in Sumerian texts and is thought to have been the consort of the fertility goddess Ishtar. The footnote reads, There is no factual basis for the claim that Tammuz is another name for Nimrod. End of footnote. The Israelite women were evidently weeping as part of some religious ritual connected with the death of Tammuz. By weeping over Tammuz in Jehovah's temple, those women were carrying out a pagan ritual in a center for pure worship. But a false religious observance was not sanctified by being carried out in God's temple. Why, 
From Jehovah's standpoint, those apostate women were doing detestable things. Paragraph 14. Question. What lesson can we learn from Jehovah's view of what the apostate women were doing? What lesson can we learn from Jehovah's view of what those women were doing? To keep our worship pure, we must never mix it with unclean pagan practices. Hence we must have nothing to do with observances that have pagan religious origins. Does origin really matter? Yes. Today the practices associated with certain observances, such as Christmas and Easter, may seem harmless. But let us not forget that Jehovah saw firsthand the pagan religious practices that eventually have become modern-day observances. In Jehovah's view, pagan practices do not become less detestable with the passage of time or through efforts to mix them with pure worship. Fourth Scene Twenty-five Men Bowing Down to the Sun Paragraphs 15 and 16 Question what were twenty-five men doing in the inner courtyard of the temple, and why did their actions deeply offend Jehovah? Ezekiel eight fifteen through 18 reads, And he further said to me, Do you see this, O son of man? You will see detestable things that are even more terrible than these. So he brought me to the inner courtyard of the house of Jehovah. There, at the entrance of the temple of Jehovah, between the porch and the altar were about twenty-five men with their backs to the temple of Jehovah and their faces to the east. They were bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, Son of man, do you see this? Is it a trivial thing for the house of Judah to do these detestable things, to fill the land with violence and keep offending me? Here they are thrusting out the branch to my nose. So I will act in rage. My eye will not feel sorry, nor will I feel compassion. Even though they cry out loudly in my ears, I will not hear them. Jehovah introduced the fourth and final scene with the now familiar words, You will see detestable things that are even more terrible than these. Perhaps the prophet wondered, What could be more terrible than the things I have already seen? Ezekiel was now in the inner courtyard of the temple. There, at the entrance of the temple, he saw twenty-five men bowing down to worship the sun in the east. Those men could hardly have found a way to offend Jehovah more deeply. How so? Picture the scene. God's temple was built with the entrance facing east. Worshippers entering the temple would be facing west, with their backs to the rising sun in the east. But the twenty-five men in the vision turned their backs to the temple and faced east so that they could worship the sun. In so doing, they turned their backs on Jehovah, for that temple was the house of Jehovah. 1 Kings 8, 10-13 Those twenty-five men were apostates. They ignored Jehovah, and they violated the command recorded at Deuteronomy 4, 15-19. How they offended the God who rightly deserves exclusive devotion! Paragraphs 17 and 18 Question A. What lesson can we learn from the account of the sun-worshippers in the temple? Question B. 
The apostate Israelites damaged what relationships and how? What can we learn from the account of those sun worshippers? To keep our worship pure, we must look to Jehovah for spiritual enlightenment. Remember, Jehovah God is a sun, and His word is a light for our path. Psalm 84.11 Through His word and Bible-based publications from His organization, He illuminates our hearts and minds, showing us how to follow a course that leads to a satisfying life now and to everlasting life in the future. If we were to look instead to this world for enlightenment on how to live, we would be turning our backs on Jehovah. Such a course would deeply offend him, causing him much pain of heart. We would never want to do that to our God. Ezekiel's vision is also a warning for us to avoid those who turn their backs on the truth, namely apostates. As we have seen thus far, Ezekiel witnessed four shocking scenes of idolatry and false worship that revealed the depth of apostate Judah's spiritual defilement. By becoming spiritually unclean, those Israelites damaged the relationship between the nation and God. But spiritual uncleanness and moral defilement go hand in hand. Not surprisingly, then, the apostate Israelites committed all manner of moral wrongs that undermined not just their relationship with God, but also their relationship with fellow humans. Let us now see how the prophet Ezekiel, under inspiration, described the moral decay of apostate Judah. Moral Uncleanness Obscene Conduct in Your Midst Paragraph 19 Question How did Ezekiel describe the moral bankruptcy of Jehovah's covenant people? Ezekiel 22, 3-12 reads, You are to say, this is what the Sovereign Lord Jehovah says. O city that sheds blood within herself, whose time is coming, who makes disgusting idols to defile herself, your bloodshed has made you guilty, and your disgusting idols have made you unclean. You have hastened the end of your days, and the end of your years has come. That is why I will make you an object of reproach to the nations, and an object of mockery to all the lands. The lands nearby and those far away from you will mock you, you whose name is unclean and who are filled with turmoil. Look, each of the chieftains of Israel among you uses his authority to shed blood. Within you they treat their father and mother with contempt. They defraud the foreign resident, and they mistreat the fatherless child and the widow. My holy places you despise and my Sabbaths you profane. Within you are slanderers intent on shedding blood. Within you they eat sacrifices on the mountains and carry on obscene conduct in your midst. Within you they dishonor their father's bed, and they violate a woman unclean in her menstruation. Within you one man acts detestably with his neighbor's wife, another defiles his own daughter-in-law with obscene conduct and another violates his sister, the daughter of his own father. Within you they take a bribe to shed blood. You lend on interest or for a profit, and you extort money from your neighbors. Yes, you have entirely forgotten me, declares the Sovereign Lord Jehovah. 
the nation was morally corrupt from the rulers on down. The chieftains or leaders used their authority to shed innocent blood. The people in general evidently followed their leaders in disregarding God's law. Within the family, children treated parents with contempt, and incest was commonplace. Within the land, the rebellious Israelites defrauded the foreign resident and mistreated the fatherless child and the widow. Israelite men violated their neighbors' wives. The people gave way to unrestrained greed by practicing bribery, extortion, and usury. How it must have pained Jehovah to see his covenant people trampling on his law and ignoring the loving spirit behind it. Jehovah took their moral bankruptcy personally. He directed Ezekiel to tell the immoral people, You have entirely forgotten me. Paragraph 20. Question. Why do Ezekiel's words about the moral uncleanness of Judah have meaning for our day? Why do Ezekiel's words about the moral uncleanness of Judah have meaning for our day? The corruption in apostate Judah reminds us of the morally bankrupt world we live in today. Political rulers have abused their power and oppressed the common people. Religious leaders, in particular the clergy of Christendom, have blessed the wars of the nations that have caused the loss of countless millions of lives. The clergy have watered down the Bible's pure and clear standards regarding sexual morality. As a result, the moral standards of the world around us keep sinking ever lower. Surely Jehovah would say to Christendom what he said to apostate Judah, You have entirely forgotten me. Paragraph 21. Question. What can we learn from the moral uncleanness of ancient Judah? What can we as Jehovah's people learn from the moral uncleanness of ancient Judah? To worship Jehovah acceptably, we must keep our conduct clean in all respects. That is no small challenge in this morally corrupt world. However, we know how Jehovah feels about moral corruption in all its ugly forms. We obey Jehovah's moral standards because we love Him and His laws. To become morally unclean would be unloving toward our holy and clean God. We would never want to give Jehovah just cause to say to us, You have entirely forgotten me. Paragraph 22. Question A. After reviewing Jehovah's expose of ancient Judah, what are you resolved to do? Question B. What will be discussed in the next chapter? We have learned some valuable lessons from reviewing Jehovah's expose of the spiritual and moral decline of ancient Judah. Surely we are strengthened in our resolve to give Jehovah the exclusive devotion that he so richly deserves. To that end, we must guard against all forms of idolatry and keep morally clean. What, though, did Jehovah do about his unfaithful people? At the conclusion of Ezekiel's temple tour, Jehovah plainly told his prophet, I will act in rage. Ezekiel 8, 17 and 18. We want to know what action Jehovah took toward unfaithful Judah, for a similar judgment will be executed on this wicked world. The next chapter will discuss how Jehovah's judgments against Judah were fulfilled. Your Place in Pure Worship 1. What does Jehovah rightly expect of his worshipers? And how can you live up to his expectation?
2. In what ways did the Israelites become spiritually unclean? But how can you keep spiritually clean? 3. Why are you determined to stay morally clean?